So, Berto, when I first started this podcast 13 years ago, I imagined that you and I would share the all the tasks involved in the podcast. When I, I would come up with topics, you right. would come up with topics, I would get people to interview, you would get people to interview, all the various things. But you vastly underestimated my laziness. And soon realized <laughs> that I had to do everything and you showed up, which is great. You're a very good... Uh, in you know basketball uh, commentary <laughs> terms, you're a good color man. That's right. And you will or color commentary, right? And you know you're you're the best when it comes to that. But you've never prepared your own topic until today, which today. W- which you have coined a bur topic. It Bert-topic. is a it is a, a portmanteau of Berto and topic. So what are we talking about today, Berto? Which by the way, it's going to be confusing if I start posting on Instagram and I post Berto pics. Because they're spelled the same way. That's right. (laughs) (laughs) All right. So today we're talking about growing up with music uh, in general. But my specific experience, I think your specific experience, was one where we grew up with uh, radio and we had our top 40 every week. And then we also grew up with MTV and videos. And a lot of our experiences were uh, soundtracked by that music that was playing on the radio and those videos that we were watching on MTV. It was so uh, embedded into the culture, and we, we probably, I know that you've talked about it, we have memories that were attached to what was happening that week in music. Uh, and I, I got curious about it because it was potentially a, a first in human history, like a confluence of things that hadn't happened before and may not happen again. <laughs> so it, it's pretty uh, what fascinating. What do you mean? What do you mean? In that, okay, so certainly before recorded music, uh, you didn't have a device that you could just like turn on and there was music playing. So for you to listen to music, you either had to sing it yourself or someone in your household, or you'd have to travel somewhere where some group was playing. And the further back you go, the harder that would have been to come by, right? And so certainly music was something that humans have had for as long as we know. We have records of, of primitive instruments and things like that. But it was a very different thing. And then with the advent of recorded music, all of a sudden people could like turn on the radio and listen and then more and more it became a, a normalized thing and it became part of everyone's everyday life and then people would start talking about it. Yeah. Then as we got into the internet age, it, it flipped onto, well, now I can just kind of download anything at any time. Yeah. And nowadays music is everywhere and right. maybe uh, it's more there than ever before. But the key difference is that since you can get anything you want at any time of any kind, it's harder to say um, no. Like, well, are we all on the same page? Do are we listening to the same top forty? Are we watching the same videos? Yeah, I hadn't thought about that till you just said that. That it's possible that we grew up in the pinnacle of the radio, especially geared towards teenagers, because yeah. there were radio stations, obviously, in the fifties and and sixties and seventies, but. I don't know if they were so targeted to 13-year-olds <laughs> the way that K-plus was yeah. in Seattle in 1984, for example. Or at the very least, we can say we are part of a three or four decade generation of people that right. might have you know, no, had experienced something that had never been experienced before and will never be experienced again. That's right. Because presumably if we always have, you know, better and faster ways of communicating, you won't need to just tune in to a radio station and listen to your favorite music. So let me ask you, um, 
you grew up in you know late seventies and through the eighties, early nineties. And what what do you feel was your experience with music in the sense of like your relationship to radio and your relationship to the songs that were coming out week to week? Well, I don't know if I've ever, ever thought about it until we started talking about this topic earlier that, you know, I wouldn't call myself like a radio person, right? Mm -hmm. Like I grew up on the radio. But when I think about it, I really did. Mm -hmm. All of my music that, because back in the day for you youngins out there, uh, cassettes and records, and particularly when CDs came out, they're expensive. Yeah. And, and expensive by today's standards. I mean, CDs, when they first came out, were something like $17 or something. And this is at a time in you know the late 80s, early 90s, where you'd be working a full-time job, minimum wage, for like three fifty, Right. And, and you take home like two fifty. So if you think about how much you would have to work to buy just one CD, that's like... What is that like? Two days of work or something? What What is that? It's like, uh, yeah, because like you you also need other things with that money, right? And and so it was really a big deal. I remember I felt so spoiled when my parents every Christmas would buy me four records. Wow. Yeah. Right. Like four records, whatever I wanted. That's insane. Like four albums, yeah. and maybe the rest of the year I'd get three other records. Right. So you would more than, you know, like you get three the whole year and then four in one instance. Right. Wow. Yeah. And of course, because I'm slightly narcissistic, I would dominate the record player right. during Christmas. I would, you would I be would, the DJ. Yeah. There's actually a videotape of that, you know, because my, my dad would just prop up the video camera and, and I kept wanting to play, I think, an R.E.M. album or something, or maybe it was, no, it was The Cure. It was... Uh, their double album, okay. Uh, kiss me, kiss me, kiss me. Is that the name of it? Anyway, I I was being a jerk because I was thirteen, but uh, but yeah. So definitely grew up with the radio, and as a as a kid in the seventies, there was this radio station in Seattle called KJR. It was on mm. the uh, it was on AM, and it it played hits that our whole family could enjoy. Right, right. Like like all the greats, like. Uh, Beatles, Beach Boys, Commodores, Sister Sledge, Bee Gees, John Denver, Carpenters, Elton John, yeah. of course, Paul, John, Stevie Wonder, Fleetwood Mac, Jackson 5, Doobie Brothers. I remember all those bands. And when I hear those bands, I kind of think about being in the van and and listening to KJR. And then, of course, in the 80s, we had K-Plus, which was uh, dedicated to teenagers. Mm. Or it might have... And then there was another... Anyway, I, I won't bore with the details of <laughs> Seattle Radio, but... But for me, uh, up until I was 13, music was just sort of background stuff. Okay. I, I really loved the Muppet movie soundtrack when I was- Oh, really? When I was the nine, when I was nine years old, you know, and I would, okay. you know, and I would listen to music, but, um, and I remember listening to Rush and ACDC when I, and Journey when I was 10. Mm -hmm. But it wasn't like a major part of my identity. It, it was just something I liked to listen to. But then I go, and I've told this story before on the podcast before, I go to a dance in seventh grade. Mm -hmm. And it's my first nighttime dance with all the kids. And there's the ninth graders and the eighth graders. And, and I'm nervous and I've never danced before. And I show up and I'm dancing and I'm really nervous and I'm looking around and Everyone is, all the other seventh graders are sort of clumped together. And then all of a sudden, everyone jumps up in the air and yells, jump. Oh, like, wow. The entire cafeteria, at, you know, 
uh, totally synced up, except for except for me, seemingly, except for you, <laughs> seemingly. And I'm like, well, that must that's weird. Like, I must have missed something. I'll pay attention anyway. I'm listening, listening, you know, and but dancing, dancing, dancing. All of a sudden, boom! Everyone jumps up in the air and says, "Jump!" <laughs> and I'm thinking, what is happening right now? And then I really listened to the song, and it was a song that said jump in the chorus. That's hilarious. It was by Van Halen, of course. Of course. Uh, of course, the less older people are thinking of like... Um, Pointer Sisters. <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah, didn't the Pointer Sisters do? Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Uh, jump yeah. for my love. Right. But then jump there, it. I guess every generation has their own jump, because then there was... Uh, jump, uh, jump, jump. Jump, yeah, Isn't by that uh, Chris Cross. No, Cypress. Oh, right, oh. right, right, right. But then there was, yeah, but then no, there the was Cypress the, Hill. No, right? not Cypress Hill. It's the white guys, the Irish guys. Oh, uh, um, right, right. Anyway, right, that right. that group. But um, anyway, so I felt jump around, jump, jump around, around, jump up, jump up, and get down. And I felt like I was completely at a time when you really want to fit in. Right. I felt completely out of the loop and immediately went home oh and God. just started going through the, through radio, the radio station, <laughs> say, like figuring out what radio station <laughs> are they listening to? Because all the people in this room they cannot possibly have 1984 by Van Halen. Right, you know what I mean? Right, because right. How, where did they get access to it? So I'm flipping through the channels and I find K plus and I'm so, mm. Oh, this is, this must be our channel. And I proceeded like a weird, creepy person studying culture proceeded to <laughs> listen to what this. Is this culture? Yeah, I just listened to this station That's over and over and over again. And within maybe a month, I too had memorized every right. lyric of every song from 1984. That's hilarious. Well, I mean, that matches not the exact scenario, but uh, I had a similar experience in that, well, for me, you were saying that you could get, you know, some records throughout the year. Uh, I had less access to that. I, I I had a very very small record collection. My very first record ever was purchased for me by my aunt Tia Alicia. Um, How old are you? I was uh, wait, I was three and a half. Almost yeah, three and a half. I think almost four. But I remember distinctly going to the little music store with her because she was leaving from Colombia to, to move to the states. So it was her going away gift. And we walk into the record store and she goes, okay, you can pick out any record. But she said it in Spanish, which was odd because we... <laughs> and so I walked around and I found this awesome looking record with two women and two dudes on the cover. ABBA? ABBA! Oh my God. Oh my gosh. Because yes. I was thinking uh, for a three-year-old, what in the world oh, would they yeah. choose? No, but I was already into music at that age. I loved The Carpenters. I loved John Denver. You know, I loved uh, The Carpenter, the, what's it called? The Brady Bunch <laughs> and The Partridge Family. Anyway, so I picked ABBA and that was like my first record. I, I was born when the Brady, when the Bra not Brady Bunch, The Partridge Family. You're thinking Partridge Family. Is that what you said? Both Brady Bunch. And Partridge Family. The Brady Bunch had their own music? They had a couple songs in there, okay. yes. Well, related, similar the show, Partridge, Partridge the Family. The whole show was them being right. musicians. Yeah. I was born when their song was number one. Nice. I think I love you. Oh, yeah, yeah. That's pretty good. Yeah. Well, so then what happened is, since actually, I didn't have it's, access to- It's actually to, kind of a terrible song. <laughs> since I didn't have access to a lot of uh, records or anything, radio- was it? Yeah. And in so Colombia, yeah. What was it like in Colombia? Right in Colombia, we got top forty. We got Casey Kasem over there, and uh, and but before, that would have been a lot. You yeah, before older. Casey Kasem, I, we we just got an an American feed. I don't know exactly what they were pulling, 
but they were was it you know, one station Ringo songs there were there was at first one main station i listened to and then there was a second station uh and then those were the two and and one of them was kind of younger and hipper and the other one was a little kind of darker you know huh. but um the younger and hipper one was had the the voices they had a dude with a lower voice and a girl with a high voice but there was yeah. all the computer chain or not computer but uh well yeah i guess computer they, they would change their pitch you know so i don't know if this is your experience but uh, i'm now reminded of the ubiquity of radio in the car oh yeah that everyone when you got in the car had just their radio <laughs> station that was uh you know permanently on and I can remember being in my aunt and uncle's car and they listened to FM radio, which was like right. adult radio with stuff like Steely Dan and stuff. And and I remember <laughs> just being kind of scared of FM radio. Yeah. AM radio was KJR. It was the Beatles and the Beach Boys right. and Elton John. And I understood that <laughs> kind of stuff. But FM, it it felt dangerous. And <laughs> and because uh, I think back then FM was kind of new. Because uh, I think it took more energy, FM, and it's stereo. FM, you could do stereo. And That's a lot right. of uh, car stereo starting, started having left and right signals. And um, they the only movie that I've seen this depicted well in is Once Upon a Time in Hollywood mm. with Quentin Tarantino. Yeah. Where whenever the Brad Pitt character gets in the car, there's this radio station that's always on. And that feeling of you're connected to this live broadcast and this DJ is in your town, yep. knows what's going on. And you can dial in. You yeah. can win prizes. Yeah, it felt like oh, this yeah. community hall feeling. That was definitely the case. So there was one that was 88.9, and that was the original one. And they played all gringo music, you know? What'd you call me? <laughs> and then when bands in... Wait, isn't punto a bad word? Punto, no. <laughs> That's a dot. Oh. 88.9. Oh, okay. <laughs> yeah. Uh, but there is a similar word that I won't say because puta is a bad word. <laughs> <laughs> um, but anyways, 88.9, that was the original. And they played mostly Wait, what'd you call music. Me? <laughs> <laughs> but they also played Latin rock at, when it started coming out. And then the news station was called 102.9, and that was La, La Super what, what was Latin rock like? So actually, it was very uh, gringo influence, very Brit rock and, and uh, American music. Like Led Zeppelin? US music. Um, it wasn't too prog rocky. It like, was or bad company kind of thing. It, no, it was actually more alternative. Oh, if you listen to a lot of those bands, you would well, have what year only we, what listened year are to we them. talking about? Um, mid to late eighties. Oh, okay. Yeah. So we're not talking seventies then. I, I'm sh no, there was, but I I didn't know it at that time. Yeah, and and it wasn't as popular. And, and actually, at that point, they were way more. Uh, I'd say like Queen, like that kind of band. Okay. Some really amazing music, and and also very um, a lot of poetic guitar singer songwriter music, of course. But later it was like they could have been at what home with New uh, Order and Depeche Mode, of and, course, because that's the Colombian idea. No, no, seventies, you know, like yeah, there's tons oh, of singer songwriter, like 70s. bread and yeah, and yeah. so it, that same thing in Latin America. But I'm saying that in the mid to late eighties, they if if you were gonna group them together, it would be with the tech, the new wave techno kind of bands even though what was that like to be, be in bogota listening to american music so that's all i knew and and since i spent two years in new york when i was five i also like had cemented like that's what i liked 
and I have these distinct memories. We'll go about like our best memories in a minute, but here's a tougher bluff for you. Oh. The top 40, not American top 40, just like the concept of the top 40, was invented or was first released in, 19, in the 19, uh, early 1930s. Top 40 was first invented and released into the airwaves in the early 1930s. Oh, and uh, on the airwaves. Yeah. 30s. Well, radio does go back a long ways. Top 40 is such a modern feeling uh, concept. And uh, were there even 40 songs in the 30s? <laughs> I mean, I'm joking, but... Uh, I'm going to say bluff. I'm thinking more like 50s. Very good. Very good. It was early 50s. Okay. There was a dude named Todd Stortz who was credited uh, in Omaha, Nebraska with being the first DJ, uh, yeah, radio jockey to invent the, top, the concept of the top 40. And then the, the thing that I, in doing the research that was fascinating, is TV... So radio was the main thing that people would listen to. Everyone would gather. I don't, did your family have one of those big stand-up radios? No. Okay. In my grandpa's house, there was one of those huge stand-up radios, and people would actually sit on the couch. Like that was from the 30s? Yeah, that looked like a TV, you know? Yeah. And people would just look at the radio while they listened to the radio, <laughs> which is funny. And radio, as you can probably remember or know, uh, it used to be the main attraction and, and there were serials and all these things. Well, when TV came out, it started supplanting. Right. And uh, radio stations were like, what do we do? We can't, you know, we have these serials, but people want to see the, the pictures. So the concept of the top 40 was, well, what if we like make it uh, kind of an audio spectacle? We'll have kind of recurring gags, kind of characters, and uh, the music will be very handpicked. This dude, the guy that's credited with inventing it, used to go to bars all the time. I don't know why. Maybe he was, you know, a little depressed. Well, what else or... is there to do in, was it Kansas? <laughs> in Nebraska. Nebraska. But he noticed that the jukeboxes, people were always selecting the same set of songs all the time, even though there were a lot more choices. Right? So his top 40 was from that one bar? <laughs> yeah, essentially. So his theory was, huh, I bet you people would be fine if, if the music selection was really limited to the best the best and how you know and so he started looking at like uh from various publications what were the top songs and then he would just play 40 because that's how many could fit in the the time frame they could do there were obviously so, way more than well that. is the implication before this movement that djs would just play what they wanted what they wanted to yeah. and it would be kind of all over the board yes. because they might not want to listen to the same song That's right. over and over again. And, they, and yeah, and and there were segmented uh, stations for different kinds of uh, music and things like this. Right. With the top forty, they would play whatever was popular, whether it was country, rock, jazz, whatever, right? And so that's how it happened. And then what what started happening with that is stations across the country picked up on this, and they started their own top forties, and then eventually. Like Billboard gets involved and stuff. Yeah, like all that kind of started developing into like more official. So here's another tougher bluff. Um, actually, first a little bit of trivia, but maybe I'll do it as a tougher bluff. So do you know, uh, it can't be a tougher bluff. You this can just ask me a question. Just a question. Do you know why FM was better than AM? Well, because it was stereo. Yeah, but but what, what um, before they started doing stereo, why was FM perceived to be better? Perceived to be better yeah. or actually better? 
both, I guess. Um, I think, well, it's a different part of the radiation spectrum. And I think the signal is stronger when you're closer. Something like that. It's close. So what happens is AM means amplitude modulation. So they literally modulated the volume of these waves, these radio waves. Now, radio waves, you and I can't hear them because they're too low in frequency, right. but, but there's still a they, volume. Essentially, you know? they broadcast the waveform. They, they, exactly. And what they would change was the volume, like how much power, right? And that actually works really well for long distances and it's right. cheap to do. But there's a catch. As soon as it goes through the air there are random fluctuations in that power amount. And so you get a lot of static, a lot of noise. Right. With f- FM was frequency modulation. So instead of modulating the, the amplitude of the wave, they modulated the, how fast the wave was vibrating, the frequency, and they kept the amplitude static. Or it didn't matter if the, if the amplitude changed a little bit because they weren't tracking that. So FM isn't as good as at very long distances, and it does get blocked by uh, block, like walls and things like that. But the, the flip side is there was much better sound quality because right. there wasn't all that static. Wow. That's amazing that I pulled that out of my butt. That's, <laughs> that's essentially what I said, yeah, which yeah. I'm like surprised that because I, pro- I probably learned that in the 70s back when it mattered because <laughs> yeah. as soon as FM in the mid 80s became dominant, it was almost like AM just completely dropped off the face yes. of the earth and was only for like random news stations. You don't want to listen to music in that form. Right, yeah. yeah. Okay, but anyway, so here's another uh, uh, tougher bluff. So, uh, how many American top 40, um, v, no, not VJs, DJs have there been? One? What, what? How many, what? How many uh, American top 40, you know, American top 40 radio DJs have there been? Including the the one you just yeah. mentioned in the, the beginning? Uh, no, no, that wasn't American top 40. That was just some random Nebraska top 40. American top 40 is branded and it's very specific. Oh, it's is American this Casey Kasem? top 40, that's one of them, yeah. Oh, okay. So, um, I guess, so how many, uh, how how many, many have there been? And it's I not don't. a tough bluff, it's just like... I don't know. Yes. I don't know because um, I didn't listen to uh, Casey Kasem. We had Rick D's in Seattle, okay. which I think was the younger, goofier version of Casey Kasem. So, I mean, Casey Kasem lived a long time, if not still alive. No, okay. he was. Tra- he died tragically, actually. How did he die? He went missing or something like that. Oh, yeah. I need to look like, that up. There's some foul play involved. Oops, goddamn. Uh, yeah. Casey Kasem. Yeah. Uh, Kasem. Uh, I almost spelled it right. I think his ex-wife or something like that. Uh, illness and death. Oh, illness. Announced okay. her father, Parkinson, diagnosed over a few months later. She said, did uh, Kasem health worsen 2013? His wife, Jean, prevented any contact oh, with him. Oh, that's what it was. Right. Uh, the kids really wanted to see their dad and the wife didn't allow it. Yeah. So it wasn't like she killed him. No, it was no, just, no, no, no. Yeah. But um, so Kasem did it for a long time from yeah. what I understand. And American Top 40 probably started well before he did. So it's probably like a, um, you know, a Jay Leno, <laughs> Johnny Carson thing. And there's a guy before Johnny Carson. <laughs> so I'm going to say like four. Oh, that's pretty good. And in fact... It might be, but the three there's three official ones. Okay, Casey Kasem, he I, and so but I grew up with Casey Kasem. 
That was my weekly jam. I knew all his little stories he told. What day was it on? Um, we Well, Saturday is when I would listen to it. Okay. I don't know if that was... I think Rick Dees was Sunday night, if I'm not yeah. mistaken. So Rick Dees was technically not American Top 40. Right. What happened was the KIS, KIIS station in LA, yeah. they couldn't get the rights to the American Top 40 because they lost the rights to some other station. So they invented their own with this guy, Rick Dees. But he was pretty entertaining too. So that one, it sounds like it got picked up here too. In Seattle, yeah. yeah. Okay, so Casey Kasem, uh, the voice of Shaggy, you know, great, great, just all around dude. Yeah, I forgot. Shaggy. Um, he would tell these amazing like stories to go along with the songs. Like he'd give you a little bit of the bio of the artist and a lot of tragic stories behind the music. Um, they were always little jingles with different numbers like number 10, you know, like little yeah. sound clips. And then uh, people... Yeah, would, that was another part of this for Rick Dees as well, that it was basically the only venue of information I had on these artists. Right. Yeah, because you can look it up on Wikipedia. <laughs> right. And it wasn't like I was going to buy trade magazines no. on music, you know, musicians. And I didn't know anyone who knew any of this information. And, and right. MTV back then was basically just videos. That's right. Occasionally they would dip into an interview, but it was... It wasn't like it was a common experience. So the one, 120 minutes was awesome. right, but yeah. that was later. That, that was, was late later, 80s, yeah. and I remember uh, learning little details and really latching on to what Rick Dees would, yeah, uh, you know, deem to share with everybody about the artist. Yeah, same with Casey Kasem, and so I would know all that. He did it till 88. At that point, a dude named. Um, Shadow Stevens. Do you remember that name? That name actually, when I heard it, I was like, oh, I remember that name. Probably because I was still listening to American Top 40 when he took over. Uh, and then Ryan Seacrest is the current host. Oh, he's, what? Ryan Seacrest. What doesn't that guy do? I know, right? He hosts the American Top 40. He must go <laughs> in and record just the interstitials. I don't know, but yeah. There's no way busy, he sits right? there for four hours because he, he, the amount of things that that guy yeah. does. Yeah, no, you're right. He can't be the DJ, right? Right. He just sits there and does records little, little things, bits yeah. in between. He probably does it in like 13 minutes. You That's know? right. Okay, so here is the sad part. Can you tell me, guess, any of the, I'm not going to go top 40, any of the top 10 songs this week in the American Top 40? Well, okay. Just a single one. Just give me one. Um, a single song? Or even an artist. Guess one artist. Uh, is Lord up there? No. And well, not in the top 10, maybe later. Little Nas X? Yes. How did you know? <laughs> I don't know. He's just big right now. Okay, that's one. Can you guess any others? Uh <laughs> is um is Ed Sheeran, he just had an no, album come out. Not in the top 10. Well, he, his album comes out like okay, soon okay. or something. Um but there there are several known names. Cardi B, uh not in Taylor Swift. No. I'll give you a hint. Uh, this kid is no longer a kid, but he got his fame in a group, in a ensemble. Oh, I don't know. Uh, he's also been in movies, and he does voices for cartoon characters in movies. Uh, no idea. Justin Bieber. <laughs> oh. That's your... Wait, what was your hint for Justin Bieber? Oh, shoot. No, I messed up. <laughs> <laughs> I messed up. I'm so dumb. I was thinking Timberlake. My bad. My bad. I'm like, Justin Bieber. YouTube star. Sorry. Yeah. Um, um, yeah, of course. So I actually, I, 
ah, man, I was kind of excited because I thought, ooh, Justin Timberlake. But then now I realized it's Justin Bieber. Yeah. Um, well, I'm, I'm surprised. Ariana got, Grande is on there. Uh, that's, that's interesting. I mean, it's funny that I know these people. Do you know a I mean, single so I song that's popular right now? Well, the Bieber song is, I've heard it. I don't know the name of it. But Peaches? Yeah, it's yeah. actually, yeah, yeah. exactly. Um, okay, so number one is Levitating by Dua Lipa. Okay, Dua Lipa. I, I listen to all these as <laughs> prep. Yeah. I, I don't like any of them. Yeah, <laughs> I'm not a fan. I haven't been a, I haven't been a fan of top four. There was one and a half years when I was a fan of top forty. It was when I was thirteen and fourteen. As soon, uh, right after I turned fifteen, I instantly uh, top top forty instantly soured. It's so weird. Like the top forty, the top one hundred songs of 1985. Uh-huh. Every single song is to me a gem. A but of gem, course, yeah. but it's just I was fourteen. You fast forward to 1986, and like <laughs> maybe like maybe ten out of the top 100 oh, songs yeah. I enjoy, and uh, so two things are working against us with this the top 10 list right now is one, Our age. It, uh, <laughs> that's the biggest one of course, uh, and and maybe the sort of music we listen to yeah. right you know there are people our age who are listen to the certain radio stations that have this kind of stuff on it I suppose. But the other thing is that the stars of today, I just feel like aren't really as big as they were when we were kids. Or maybe it's just because we're old as well. I don't know. Could be. Because we had, you know, Michael Jackson and Madonna and... I mean, some of these names are pretty, yeah, but... Yeah, I mean, they're pretty, yeah. I'm I'm actually surprised that uh, I recognize any of the artists. And you would actually would be, you'd be slightly more in the know than I would because... I've caught several times in the last 10 years where you knew a bit more about currently popular songs. So I got to get this off my chest. Top 40 music these days. And it's it's been a problem for a while. Great, because this is our gripes of wrath about music these days. Yeah. (laughs) Let me me give a gripe, which is, and this is absolutely an old guy. Yeah. Get get off my music lawn. Yeah. This is 100%. When I was young, I remember old people, like I, I remember... When grunge came out, and I was, I wasn't so much into Nirvana as much as I was into like Soundgarden and Mud Honey and Screaming Trees and these kinds of bands. And I remember we were jamming out at this bar, uh, the Monkey actually, in on Roosevelt, and all of us twenty-two-year-old uh, kids are, you know, listening to music and really enjoying it. Mm. And this guy. Uh, Ian, who was actually, do you remember those commercials with the money tree and there's these caterpillars? Yes, yes. He was one was of the, he caterpillar. the caterpillar. Yeah. So Ian, <laughs> he was he was always at that bar. Those always freaked me out. Yeah, it's kind of weird. It's like Alice in Wonderland. Yeah. <laughs> and he was a little, he was older. He was like thirty, and he I just remember have he had just had this sourpuss on his face, and he's and I'm like, what's going on? He's like, well. This is all just recycled music from the 70s. No. And so even him at 30 was looking right. at top 40 from my time right. and saying, get off my music lawn. Yeah. So now that I'm 50, I can't imagine how terrible this is going to sound. But similar to grunge, when grunge came out, so uh, when in the 80s, things became fairly plastic very quick especially at the end yeah you had bands like bon jovi and poison and vixen and motley Crue that were supposed to be hard rock which were not hard rock very hard dark death metal <laughs> this was extremely bubblegum pop very pop 
packaged in massive amounts of hairspray and corporate yeah. uh, think and and how you're going to sell to the kids and it, it it was really deplorable and i hated it obviously because yeah. by that point i'm 17 18 years old and was you know too much of a hipster for top 40 <laughs> but then grunge comes out and its whole ethic was screw you you know we don't care about hairspray we don't care about how we look we don't yeah. care about our clothes we don't care about what you think of us and we're just going to make music the way we like. It's all going to be real down to earth, no effects, very, yeah. very in your face and just, just take it or leave it or, you know, go to hell. And a lot of m- music like Tad and these in Mudhoney even were bands that just actively said, we do not want to be top 40. Like, please yeah. do not uh, make us top 40. <laughs> it's like the opposite of what we want. Pearl Jam kind of had a, uh, an element of that eventually as well. And so I feel like today we need another movement Another like grunge, a new Because, grunge. and again, this is an old guy thing to say, but I feel like top 40 or popular music today is so plastic. Yeah. There's some good music out there. Uh, uh, what's her name? Is it Bridgers? Phoebe Bridgers? Um, there's some other... Uh, Lord actually is, is pretty good as well, I, th- I think. Well, but, but but what I can't tell, and this could just be because once when you're inside, you can't tell that you're inside. I, the songs that were even one-hit wonders and what you would call sappy and romantic from the '80s, I still find them memorable, and like those melodies don't leave my mind. And so, is that just because? My age and where I was. Yeah, I, well, so yes, it is age. I'm quite sure 13-year-olds today, you know, 18-year-olds today are listening to Top 40 music and they're like, this is a beautiful song. And, and they they'll are. remember it? And they will. They will remember it, yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, and that uh, maybe we'll take a break. I'll get back to the science behind why that is. I mean, what's the chance, Birdo, that 1985 is empirically a better year of music than any other year according to it's me. It's really good. It's the good chance, man. No. Uh, <laughs> it's it's not. There's zero chance. And um but I do think that in the ebbs and flows of the plasticity of music that we definitely need another alternative punch in the face because of what seems to me to be extremely generic plastic top 40 music these yeah. days. Um, but then the other question, the other thing I wonder is like, well, is top 40 just always supposed to be plastic because it has to appeal literally to the most people. Yeah. Um, but I find, you know, people that I respect in terms of their musical tastes will really love top 40 today. And I'm just thinking, why? (laughs) Like, it's so formulaic i mean the one thing i will say about pop music today it it, it is produced extremely to the nice but it's but it's <laughs> good stuff like the the drum sounds good the the bass lines can be pretty nice sometimes the the harmonies can actually be pretty good but there's nothing new about it it just the melodies are the same the ethic <laughs> is the same the vibe is the it's, same. It's yeah, and again, I, I it's hard to tell from the inside. But to me, I'm like, rarely a song comes out, and I'm like, oh, okay, that's interesting. Well, when when was the last time that happened? Uh, I, I guess, um, I don't know, I don't remember. Well, I'd be curious <laughs> what you think of this new Lord song. It's it's a single that just came out. It's called uh, Solar Power. 
And although the beginning is kind of typical Lord Whisper singing, the ending has this really beautiful, but but it's also kind of ripped off. The ending's kind of ripped off from a lot of songs. Actually, people are saying it's ripped off from George Michael, but it's actually, uh, <laughs> but George Michael ripped it off from other people. So, <laughs> but again, everyone always rips people off, so it's not a big deal. But I'd be curious what you thought about the ending of the Solar Power song, because it's actually really musical. Okay. And, and I think you might be able to appreciate it. I just think if you, you know, you could play 10 songs in the 70s, certainly in the 80s, that were so completely different from one another. Yeah. And, and I'm not talking about from esoteric. I'm talking about like pick a Bob Dylan, pick a Beatles, pick a yeah. Rolling Stones. Pick, and they're, they're fu- fundamentally different. And I'm not even diving into jazz or something. Right. Anyways, so uh, before we go to a break, uh, I wanted to ask you about music videos specifically mtv Mm. what was your experience like with music videos on mtv oh god uh you asked me this before we recorded and i had a little time to think about it and i i i could go on for years (laughs) we might have to do an episode just about (laughs) my my you and i are the mtv generation yes I, i mtv went on air in 1980 i believe when i was nine and really had its heyday throughout the 80s during my music watching and TV, MTV watching days. I would sit, as you know, after after the K plus and started listening to Top 40 when I was 13, I instantly, I was like, oh, there's this thing. Well, the other thing is, is we didn't get cable for a while. And before that- So you may not have had your MTV. <laughs> right, and we'll get into the top five later because we're going to talk about top five yeah. videos, but- but yeah, I mean, Michael Jackson, Duran Duran, Wham, Culture Club, Thompson Twins, New Order, Depeche Mode, yeah. uh, so many different um, experiences that I, and I, the, but the thing is, is to talk about my memories with MTV is basically me just saying, well, I would, there That's was, your life. <laughs> but we had two TVs in our house. We had yeah. the main TV and then we had essentially my TV, which was in the basement. And I felt so luxurious having my, my yeah. own, t- my, and it was a tiny black and white, I think, yeah. uh, like 12 inch television. I had one of those too, actually. Yeah. It was just a my piece My grandpa of had given me his old black and white TV. <laughs> yeah. And we had uh, that cable box with that slider thing. Do you remember? Well, I didn't have a cable box. I just had the tuner. Oh, okay. We didn't, I didn't get MTV in Colombia. My grandma, Liti. She got MTV because they had cable. Uh-huh. So when I would go over there, I would see it. Right. And then obviously at my mom's up here. Right. Yeah. So I I, I just have so many memories. I, I've memorized, if I were to watch, and occasionally I do a video from the yeah. 80s, I know every single scene. <laughs> right. I know every, so every, I studied, not because I was studying, but I just, it just. You're engrossed. Yeah. It was just, I don't know what to say. It was yeah. perfectly made for my brain at the time just listening to really great music yeah and watching people interpret artistically or just perform or or whatever and it i think another part of it because it brought so many things to me Mm -hmm. it brought you know the the things that duran duran did in their videos they were always in this luxurious european locale And it looked like a James Bond movie or something. Yeah. (laughs) And they had beautiful women around them and their their outfits were great and their hair was great and they moved great and their their art on the wall was great. And so that kind of vibe. And then you have Bruce Springsteen or John Cougar Mellencamp where you have this 
a rust belt right. culture folksy yeah of this you know small <laughs> pink houses you know americana and if yeah, i didn't have any experience with that you know yeah. in seattle or you have someone like michael jackson who yeah. is in another world madonna is another world and I had no context for anything I was seeing. So it's a lot of little windows into the different... But like windows that I had no context for, you know? Uh-huh. Like when I hear Madonna today, I hear a uh, a white interpretation of black music in, sure. in New York at the time. Sure. But at the time, all I heard was just this music and, right. and, and I had no idea what I was, what I was witnessing. Or when Duran Duran is in their outfits i it just it all just became the the artist i couldn't differentiate between you know mm-hmm. in the same way that i would see john cougar mellencamp in, on a motorcycle in like ohio that felt just as exotic and strange as duran sure. duran yeah. duran on a sailboat <laughs> uh in the music video rio right like it all just felt far away and un- inaccessible to me in my suburban life well and then imagine because in Bogota, like it felt even weirder too. Because I had, you know, I had had the glimpse of living up here, so I kind of understood a little bit of of U.S. culture uh, just from New York, anyways. <laughs> but living over there in Bogota, anytime I'd see a video, it was definitely a window into a different universe. You know, everything was outside of my reality. It was glamorous. It was like weird and different. If I looked outside my window, the only references to what i was seeing is the clothing that all the kids my age had been starting to wear because they were imitating those things and a thing that was true about the radio definitely true about mtv is it was the thing you could all talk about and have a common connection to right uh it wasn't as loaded as as movies in a way because movies first of all you had to go watch the movie in the theater mostly because it was not easy for us to get like and, i didn't even have a vhs and the typical human saw one saw each movie once yeah and like i i only probably saw a movie once a year at that age you know really yeah because i we didn't go to the theater but did they have movies on tv uh yes yes of course so i saw tv and and, okay. and movies. so we could talk about tv shows absolutely and uh but even then even though there was no netflix and stuff tv shows you might not see all the same tv shows but you'd have a few in common right but videos. And the other thing about videos is unlike, if you think about today, there are still videos. And people might say, oh, did you see the Peaches video on YouTube, right? But when, we, when you were watching MTV, even if you only watched like an hour, maybe two hours, how many videos did you see? And all those videos are videos you would discuss. And so there was a lot of content there to talk about and have in common. So that was pretty cool. Uh, and so like my bus ride every morning, bus ride would be an hour bus ride to to uh, school yeah. and me and this friend Maria Andrea we would geek out on music yeah. and all the videos we'd see and all the things well so I had a <laughs> I had a girl that is similar and I can't remember her name if I thought about it long enough it might be anyway uh, and we would geek out but we were 15 and by then I was completely beyond oh, okay. uh, top 40 in fact I'm wearing a shirt of uh, what I and I just realized that my zipper is down for some reason. <laughs> um, and I would listen to Black Ce- Celebration, and I think she might have even borrowed this to me. I'm not sure. Lent it to me. But we would o- we would talk about how crappy top, <laughs> top 40 was the whole time. <laughs> right. But videos, uh, you, you would probably did you talk ever about go videos. Th- that too. But did yeah. you ever go through a phase where 
You were anti-Top 40? Only after, uh, only when grunge started. Mm. Because, um, and, and not because of grunge. What happened is by then I was up here and I remember, uh, actually, one of the, th- no, I, I won't spoil this one. But anyways, part of, uh, part of the thing that happened was that uh, the Top 40 started changing and started becoming a lot more about, well, there was a lot of R&B and a lot of hip hop and a lot of things. But for me, the music I was into started not being in the top 40. Right. And so then I just moved. Uh, all right. So just really quick facts and then we'll go to break. So uh, MTV was actually started on Saturday, the 1st of August, 1981. 81. Which is, they started at 12.01 a.m. Eastern time. Mm. Who was watching? Yeah. <laughs> and, um, you video, know, it was... Video ki- killed a radio star. Yeah, it was the first. It was started by a dude, it was the, the brainchild was this dude named Robert Pittman. Um, and he actually came up with the idea because he had done something similar, a small little test program in the 70s, late 70s in New York. Um, there was also a precursor TV series that they gave, that gave them some of the ideas called Pop Clips. By uh, Michael Nesmith. Do you oh, know who yeah. That? Michael, from, from an the monkeys yeah. yeah. Um, and then there's tons of video stuff going back all the way to the 1800s uh, the, of what I was able to find. There was a song called Little Lost Child. That's a kind of a crappy little guitar uh, song back in the 1894s that became a hit, meaning people were buying the sheet music all over the place. Mm-hmm. That was what a hit was back then. But the person that did it did a, a, a thing where they projected images while, while someone played the song. So it was kind of like the first live music video that we have on record. I'm sure there were things like that elsewhere. But that. And then there, uh, Warner Brothers did uh, a set of things in the 1920s that eventually became Silly Symphonies. But it was like a lot of cartoons and other images set to music. Mm. Um, the Moody... Oh, Tony Bennett believes he was the first... Official video in 1955. He did a song called Stranger in Paradise and they like filmed the thing. So he likes to credit himself with being the first music video. And then the Moody Blues uh, in 1964 did a video for Go Now. I, I, I don't remember that song, but... Go Now. Oh, yeah. You okay, better okay, go okay. now. Yeah. And I loved the Moody Blues, actually. And I didn't realize they beat the Beatles by like a year, basically. <laughs> yeah, it's funny because some people will say the Beatles invented the music video right. because they didn't want to tour anymore. Right. And so they would send out these you know, music videos as a substitute of touring. Yeah. Paperback writer, strawberry fields. So they came right on the heels of that. I mean, I mean, they obviously were pioneers because they did so many visuals and things. They did hard days, not like they did full music movies in a way. Right. But Elvis had done that before. And Elvis had done that. Sure. And then Bob Dylan uh, had this thing in 1965. Have you seen it where he's uh, moving the placards? Yeah. It's called subterranean homesick blues. And then of course, the first one you mentioned, it Video Killed the Radio Star, was the official first MTV video. All right, let's take a break and we get back more Bert, Birdo picks. What do you say? Let's do it. All right, we're back from the break. We're, let's do some patron shout-outs. What do you say, Birdo? Let's do it. So these people have been patrons all the way since November of 2017. It's a long list of people. Oh, beep, beep. Apparently, a lot of people wanted to become patrons in November of 2017, and they became patrons and stayed patrons this whole time. We have wow. David from Illinois. Yay. Annette from New uh, Norway. Woo! 
Pamela from Brooklyn, New York. Nice. Amanda from Edmonds, Washington. Oh, right around the I corner. I think uh, we've emailed with Amanda. Uh, Billy from Ohio. Oh, Billy. Nicola from Great Britain. Tesla. Uh, Annie from London, Great Britain. Mm. Uh, good old Natasha, who we have met. Natasha. From California. Nice. KR from California. Cool. Rose from California. Rose by any other name. Liza from who knows where. Liza from who knows. Do they just not specify? So you. Yeah. Yeah. On Patreon, you don't have to say where okay. you're from. Daria from Chicago. Dun, 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 dun. Daria. Yeah. <laughs> Daria. Uh, Ragna here from God knows Ragnar. where. Okay. Uh, Phil from Whittier, California. Oh. A lot of California people. We Whittier. got Jill from Maine. Mm. who is actually a most deserving listener. Woo! Whoa. So Jill has been a most, has been a Since very high, high upper tier patron wow. for many years. So thank Holy you. Holy yeah. Jill essentially is the equivalent of like dozens of patrons at this point. Nice. Uh, I will say that Phil is, a, is an even more, and I believe that uh, Natasha used to be higher as well. Uh, but she doesn't like us anymore, so that's why she downgraded. Ah. Just joking. We have Francis from Nottingham, Great Britain. We have Lindsay from New Jersey and nice. Cheryl from Michigan and Tamsin from Australia. Very nice. So thank you all for becoming patrons and staying patrons all of this time and putting up with all of our BS. So, so Kirk, yeah. let me ask you. Yeah. Um, so we were talking about how like growing up with the music and I was asking about, you know, is it just me or the songs I remember as a kid seem to have stuck with me? Do we know anything from like research about the relationship with music and the developing young mind? So it's a hard thing to research because, and I've often thought about this. I, I remember when I was, I don't know, in my twenties, I remember thinking, I feel like I'm extremely attached to certain art that I was exposed to when I was a teenager. Mm. And I'm always trying to relive that experience. The, yeah. the love that I had for even the Beatles, because I really started yeah. listening to the Beatles when I, as a, a young teenager. Or, uh, you know, like R.E.M., for example. I do not like any of the things that they made past like 1989. Yeah. Um, everything they made from like 81 until 87 or something, I love. And a lot of bands were like that. Like Devo, I didn't like their later stuff. U2, I didn't really like their later, their later stuff. And I'm, and I'm just trying to figure out what that is. And even movies that I saw back then, I uh, will really, really love. And I thought, the, the metaphor I had was that in our minds, we have these slots that are available and they're open when we're born or maybe when we turn 13. Mm -hmm. And as soon as something comes along and fills that slot of like mm -hmm. the song that makes you feel X, right? then that song it now cannot be displaced. It is now completely fused with that feeling of being dumped or the yeah. feeling of being in love or the feeling of being angry or the feeling of heading out in the town, like stepping out by Joe Jackson. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. And, uh, any other song that comes along that you might like uh, cannot ever amount to the way that that one feels. But uh, what about what does the research say? Well, our brains are developing a lot during our teen years, and we don't often think of that. We think, well, when you're young, but during teenage years, our our brains go through a lot of transformation, 
And one could say that a major theme of the teenage brain is figuring out who you're going to be. Mm. You could almost think of it as we evolved to have these different phases where when we're zero to five, we evolved to learn how to speak, how to move, how to attach these kinds of things from five to 13 the latency period, as Freud called it, you could say we evolved to kind of lay low. We're, we're, we're yeah. old enough to know how to talk and maybe gather a few berries, but we're not old enough to be on our own. Because, you know, you can imagine 100,000 yeah. years ago that eight-year-olds had to stay pretty close to their parents, but yeah. independent enough that they could be uh, <laughs> mobile by themselves. But then you get to be 13, and this is probably about the time when we start, you know, 13 to 15, that we started to actually become adults. Yeah. 100,000 years ago, 50,000 years ago, our species was such that, um, okay, now it's time for you to figure out what you are going to do as a totally independent, top of the pyramid, functioning human in the tribe moving yeah. forward. And you could argue that we evolved a spongy brain to absorb what is happening in our tribe, mm. in our society, if you will, to learn the ropes. It's very important that you, at the age that you emerge into adulthood, that you understand the social mores and the values and what is important to everyone and how to do things because you're going to have to do things on your own. And so your brain is... <clears throat> is very open. On the other side, we're still learning impulse control and we're still learning yeah. how to coordinate everything. We haven't fully developed. We don't really fully develop that until we're in our mid twenties. So we're in this zone of time where we're kind of chaotic and maybe that's a good thing. You know, we're, we're open and we're experimenting and we're developing who we're going to be. Well, that applies more importantly to how are you going to gather wood? What kind of spouse, you know, partner are you looking for? Uh, do you like to live on the top of a hill or the bottom of a hill? Yeah. Are, are you the sort of person that likes to gather water as opposed to wood, as opposed to hunting? You know, like all those things are probably important yeah. back in the day. And, and you do need the recklessness because, you know, if you've already gained the wisdom and the age, you're not going to go hunting T-Rexes. Well, <laughs> and, and you could say evolutionarily the tribe would benefit by having an age group of uh, a cohort who is not... Uh, is rejects the status quo. Yeah. It's possible that each, ed, you know, technological advance was pushed forward by young people saying, I don't want to do it that way anymore. Yeah. And the old people are like, but that's the way that have been locked into my neurons. Square well, wheels is the way. Yeah. And so the, uh, when art comes along, it also either you could say hacks into that system or is a part of the glory of that system. And as a 13 year old, you're discovering who you are. And, you know, and I think a lot of people can relate to this of like, am I a rocker? Am I a pop music person? Am I a hip hop person? Yeah. What kind of person am I? And music helps us to feel connected to that. Try by my end. Yeah. Cause it's not just that, the music sounds good. It's also like, what are these artists? How do they feel like to me? You know, how do, can I relate to them? Like Tears for Fears, I felt like even though I didn't know the bassist, the lead singer of Everybody Wants the World, the World, I feel I feel like I I knew him through mm. the videos. You know what I mean? Anyway, so the idea is that neuronally we're very open during those years, from you know thirteen, fifteen 
to absorb things and they become locked in. They become associated with all of those feelings. Makes sense. And it kind of matches onto my experience that, you know, I liked music when I was 10, but there were experiences of hearing songs when I was 14 that are like euphoric. Yeah. yeah. I would just be staring at the, <laughs> at the speaker just going, this song is the best thing I've ever heard in my life. And, and, uh, but I, I don't have that feeling anymore. I haven't had that feeling in a long time, yeah. really. I mean, occasionally I got it like in my 20s, 30s, 40s with like the shins or the strokes or something. Uh, MGMT, yeah. I was in my 30s when I uh, experienced them. First Aid Kit, these kinds of bands, Band of Horses. Um, but really, uh, nothing like what I experienced when I was 13, 14, 15. I would... I would sit there and make posters of lyrics <laughs> of bands that I like. Yeah. I would sit there and listen to the music and just write out the lyrics. And I, and I think I even still, or maybe I took a picture of them and threw them away because yeah. they were really big. They were like, Whoa. you know, three feet uh, tall posters that I would make yeah. that would just be tiny little words. Of, I would just sit there and listen to the music and write the lyrics. <laughs> And uh, so the, but again, brain science is pretty uh, squishy. Yeah. <laughs> and, and rudimentary this period. But if we're going to talk about like brain elements, it seems as though in those moments, a lot of dopamine, serotonin, oxytocin, other neurochemicals that all make us feel good are released when we listen to things when they're at that age and that we, that make us feel good. And the fact that we, I believe, this is my theory, that we don't have any, the brain is ready to accept those kinds of memories and associations. Um, You can almost think of it, to me, evolutionary-wise, like 100,000 years ago, we're on the African savanna, and we, we turned 13, and there's, in our tribe, we all really love to dance around the fire and sing this one particular song. Yep. And we're dancing and, you know, we, yeah, we'd heard it when we were eight, but now that we're 13 and we're able to actually participate in the adult uh, version of this art form. It might even be our coming of age song. Yeah. Because it's our ceremony for marking our. Yeah, exactly. And we hear it and it just like, you know, I'm getting chills just thinking about the Neanderthal in me. Those suppose. drums. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And, the the it would make sense that we would evolve a mechanism that would really lock that in because of course that's that's the tradition of our tribe that's the identity of our tribe that that's what brings us our tribe together that's what brings our cohort together right like you know when you and i listen to music from our generation it brings us together brings us together if we didn't have those things in common it'd be harder for us to be friends really but they didn't have synthesizers back then (laughs) yeah so that's a long way of putting that's the science yeah, very fascinating. Well, to that point, tell we're going to do a quick top five, both for radio and for MTV. So, like, this is the top five memories you have. It could be good or bad or whatever. Oh. So, what's your number five radio? Well, I've been talking for a while. You give me your top five. Okay, I'll do the top five. Um, okay, my number five radio. <laughs> you'll love this one. Kokomo. 
1988. Oh, God. So when that song came out, I would sing it with my friend Maria Andrea in the bus nonstop. God, Aruba, you must... Jamaica, ooh, oh. I want Okay, I don't need to a... repeat it. <laughs> you must have been insufferable. Then. Oh, my gosh. Okay, uh, what's your number five? No, no, do, do oh, your Oh, you want me to? Okay. My number four is... Uh, when I was listening to the radio and Smells Like Teen Spirit mm. dethroned Michael for the number one that week. Mm. That was crazy. And then uh, that's the first time I'm hearing this song. Mm. I wasn't into Nirvana. I wasn't into grunge. I wasn't into anything. Yeah. And this song blasts out of the radio. So it was both a literal and a metaphorical dethroning yeah. of all the pop that was out there. Just chiming in, that I didn't hear this song. I mean, I'd, I'd heard of Nirvana, of course, because of Seattle and being the college yeah. scene. And I knew them to be a shittier version of Mudhoney. Because they were. They weren't very good. I mean, Bleach, it's okay. But in live, they were pretty rough. Yeah. And, but Mudhoney was very polished, and so I always thought Mudhoney was going to be the band that was going to make it. But anyway, when Smells Like Teen Spirit came out, uh, I remember hearing the song and thinking like, wow, you know, that's actually a pretty good song. But I didn't really, it didn't really hit me until I was at a dance club in Seattle. It's called like the Seattle, I can't remember what it's called, but it was down by the Vogue on First Avenue. And everyone and, started, jump, jump. Yeah. <laughs> and... We're, you know, everyone's dancing to Madonna or Michael mm -hmm. Jackson or um, other kinds of regular dance hits, yep. right? And then all of a sudden, the DJ just throws down Smells Like Teen Spirit. And I'm getting chills thinking about it. The entire <laughs> club just went crazy. <laughs> like, it became a mosh pit. Yeah. You know, back then, we didn't call them mosh pits. We just called them, like... Pits. <laughs> we just called them, like, I don't know, slam crazy dance. Slam dance, dance. Yeah. yeah. And... <laughs> it became and because they were because it was a preppy uh, dance club. Yeah, it was the preppy dance club. Uh, like, what would be a preppy dance club? Well, I suppose we wouldn't know in Seattle, but you know, it was the yeah. top forty kids. And when and Smells Like Teen Spirit comes on, and it turned everyone in the whole place into a punk That's slam hilarious. dancer, and the dancing was primal and yeah, you know, and animalistic. And That's I thought, awesome. and I and I felt the music at that time. I was like, "Wow, this song is really good." Yeah. And I thought, I bet you this song is going to be big. Yeah. You know, because of that reason. Yeah. Anyway, and it was all right. My number three. I know it's, it's cheesy, but hold on for one more day, Wilson Phillips, um, nineteen ninety. I was leaving Columbia. This mm. was that summer right before I left. And oh, I was, did, yeah, didn't you talk about this recently? Yeah, I was in the car with my friend Juan Miguel. We were like saying goodbye. We we're like talking about how sad it is. And that song came on. I was like, oh, yeah, it's so cheesy. Sing, it's sing the awesome. chorus. Um, someday somebody's going to make you want to turn around and say, say goodbye. goodbye. Say goodbye to them, baby. <laughs> Are you going to let, let me turn around and say, uh, make you cry? Right. Don't you know? Don't you know things will change? Things will, things will go, go your way. way if you hold on for one more day. Things will go your way. <laughs> hold on for one more day. <laughs> <laughs> All right, and then number two, every breath you take, 1983. Mm. So there were a few songs from the early 80s that I associated with my dad and with us kind of staying up late on a Friday, but this song when it came out. It just, because you know, the song, it's got this perfect little, ta, dun, 
you know, it like comes in and it immediately gets you into a little world. And so the thing I associate with it is it's Friday night, I'm staying up late, my dad's like reading something and I'm drawing or I'm doing some sort of activity. And it's just, I can picture my room, I can see, I can hear the radio, and I can just think to myself, wow, I love this song. Yeah. Yeah. All right. And my number yeah, one. Yeah, I have a lot of songs like that that you just oh, said. Oh, yeah, where you have a memory. These little like scenes of being at home with my family. Yeah. Absolutely. And then my number one, uh, I've told this one before, is um, I, this when I get to class and everyone is excitedly talking about a song, and I'm like, what, what song are you guys talking about? They're like, love song. And I'm like, oh my gosh, I love love song. And we're like geeking out about it. And like, yeah, it's so good. I know, I know. And um, I start saying like, it's just great because like the little melodies build on top of each other. And they're like, uh, yeah. And then one of them says, but I just, I love kind of like the acoustic-y and intro. And I'm like, the, 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 uh? And then we quickly realize it's like a sitcom. We're both talking about two different songs. <laughs> and I'm like, what are you, wait, 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 wait. Are you guys talking about Love Song by The Cure? They're like, uh, no, Love Song by Tesla. <laughs> and By Tesla? Tesla, do you remember that song? No. So you say that it's so bad. <laughs> it's like, a, it's a, the Tesla five-man acoustical jam. Yeah, they, I, was, they had this song. I was way beyond that kind All of. All right. But they both were released August 1989. Oh, that's funny. And they were both called Love Song, except Love Song, The Cure, didn't have a space in between. Mm. I don't know. I'm hearing my favorite song at the time on the radio is Love Song by The Cure. Yeah. So it was kind of, I was the only kid in the group that knew The Cure one. And I had heard the Tesla one and I did like it, but I I just felt so left out. (laughs) (laughs) But I was okay. I was like, well, the other one's better. I mean, I did like their, that one cover they did. Signs, yeah, <laughs> yeah, it's fun. that was that was that yeah. was. Good. I mean, it was pretty similar to the original. So the the love song song was pretty impressive. They start with like the little acoustic, uh, I think a twelve string. And then it goes into this like whole thing, but nothing compared to Cure. So that was my thing. And then I also did one for my top five MTV moments. Okay, well we'll do that in a second. Okay. So for me, I'm adding a number six because oh. you just reminded me, okay. and I'll say it very quickly, More Than a Feeling by Boston. Oh. My brother would jam it on his on his record player, and I'm playing Legos. Whenever I hear More Than a Feeling by Boston, okay. I or even that whole album, which is a great album. You're playing Legos? I'm playing Legos in the basement, yeah. Oh my gosh. Uh, but my number five is The Cure, In Between Days. I'm I'm older than you, so like love song for me, it's like that's an okay song. That's but, late cure. But that to me that's <laughs> that's getting into the cure that sure. I'm not so excited about. But In Between Days is one of my favorite albums and one of my favorite songs. And this the memory I have of this song is listening to it at my friend's house, who lived kind of on the other side of the tracks downtown Issaquah. And we went to his I think it was even an apartment and his parents were at home and I, I was sort of with the rough... I, I was friends with a lot of different cliques. Yeah. And this was kind of the rough clique. Okay. And they would all go on probably to become drug, Ruffians. A, drug <laughs> addicts of some kind. Um, but this is before that, which is kind of interesting to think like that someone who would eventually become addicted to substances would exhibit proto 
addict behavior, probably mm-hmm. because their parents suffered from addiction. But anyway, we went to their house and his apartment and they had this game that they liked to play where they would strangle themselves Ugh. and then you would bend over and you would strangle yourself and cut off the blood to your brain ah. and then you'd stand up really fast and, and pass out. You'd either pass out or you'd be really high for Oh a my God. Yeah, it was akin to huffing gasoline or something. Ah. And so My and I didn't hurts. do it. I, I I almost did it, but I was like, I don't know if this sounds very smart. <laughs> and Ouch. um but yeah, whenever uh, I hear in between oh pieces yeah, by the that's cure, what you think. <laughs> My number four is uh Howard Howard Jones, No One Is to Blame. Oh yeah. Great song. It always reminds me of driving out of Pine Lake uh Park mm. on the plateau. Uh summer day. Limelight by Rush always reminds me of uh, sitting in the dark with Tommy. Uh, but it also reminds me of playing rock band because it's such a hard mm. drum song to play and I would practice that over and over again. My number two is Could You Be The One by Husker Du. Oh, I don't So before, bef- uh, you probably wouldn't. Do you know any Husker Du song? Pro- probably not. Um, before there was Nirvana, there was Husker Du. Like you Hus- told me about him. Yeah, Husker Du, when I first heard them could you be the one 1987 i think i just thought it was this genius music because it took uh grungy punky metal music but had melodies and had Mm. interesting lyrics and so because that was always the thing about metal that i didn't like was the singing you know that music could be okay but anyway so um, my, the memory I have of this song, I have many memories, but one specific is I'd bring my Walkman. It wasn't an actual Walkman. It was like a, like a knockoff Walkman. Okay. And I'd be listening to that on a cassette and I'd be walking through in the halls of my high school in between classes. And it's this very angry song. <laughs> and I, you know, would just get so angry and, um, anarchic kick <laughs> when I would hear that song and I would just and I knew no one else could hear it but I'm just I'm looking through the lens of the song at my environment at the high school oh my gosh and just judging everything around oh, me no. <laughs> <laughs> just like oh you're all just a bunch of robots <laughs> yeah, just like I want to I want to burn this place to the ground oh great <laughs> uh, and my number one is Don't You Want Me by Human League nice my memory of this, similar to the jump story, was I'm uh, hanging out with my friends. We're probably 10 or 11, mm. summer summer afternoon, summer evening, and we're on our street, and there's girls and boys, and this girl and this boy in the group started singing this song, and they knew every single okay. word. And they sang it from beginning to end, oh, you know, wow. each taking turn with the boy and the girl. Yeah. And it was a spontaneous thing. It wasn't like they had planned it. You know, the, yeah. the girl just started singing it. And then this, my friend, Justin, he started singing it. And I, would, I just remember watching them marveling at the fact that this song was so great right. and that they had memorized every word. And we were in this, you know, it's just this magical little adolescent sun setting the pine trees you know parents are in the backyard cooking barbecue or something anyways so i those are my that's awesome all right mtv okay mtv 
So my top five, these are memories. So it's not like my, it's not necessarily my favorite videos of all time. It's my favorite memories or my most prominent memories. Right. That was your yeah. question was memories because if picking favorite videos, um, it's different. Yeah. Videos, yeah, that's harder. Okay. My number five. Money for Nothing, 1985, Dire Straits. Mm. I, as many people, when I saw this video, first of all, it had computer animation, yeah. and it was kind of, it was a little, um, a little bit of a tongue-in-cheek video because it was pointing, poking fun at the same thing it was doing. And I liked the song. It had Sting singing in the background. It was just great. And so I remember that video just being like, I watched it. I specifically remember at Leetis at my grandma's on her TV and I was like, oh, this is the greatest thing I've seen. Yeah. And I remember being there and I think um, my grandpa might have been there and it's funny because like so much older but I, I remember him kind of like enjoying it too. Yeah. Okay. All right. My number four. Now we get a little dark here. One by Metallica. Uh, oh my God. When this video came out, yeah. it I was I was disturbed, but in a like very interested way because you know the video is all these scenes. Right. So if you don't know, this video is a has a bunch of clips from a movie from yeah. the like the '60s, where this guy, uh, a war veteran, is injured, in that all of his limbs have been blown off. He can't see. He can't hear. He can't talk. And he's locked in. He's locked in. Yeah. And. The so there's that whole kind of scene we see that develop and then eventually he starts to do Morse code to yeah. communicate and uh, someone a, a fellow soldier is standing by his bedside and to his horror he realized that kill he's me. kill me <laughs> yeah. he's saying it's horrible but I I never seen the movie all I knew is what is this so I'm watching this video the song the the song is great the lyrics are like depressing and the video is mesmerizing. Yeah. So I remember that. And and I remember seeing it and thinking um, that it was so, sort of like I had never seen anything like it before. I distinctly remember like I've in my life, I've never seen something like this. And it's true because I didn't really used to watch at that age. I hadn't really watched many horror movies or in, uh, nothing experimental. Everything I'd watched was mostly very pop. And this was like weird and different. You know? <laughs> yeah. Okay, my number three. Speaking of not uh, different, sober by Tool. I was gonna say because similar kind of. <laughs> it's funny it how just a few years will be so different. You know, because yeah. like uh, you were fifteen, I'm guessing when that song came out. Ish one. Yeah. Well, when it came out, uh, yeah, maybe you might be or right. Fourteen, yeah. thirteen. No, no, you, you, yeah, fifteen is probably right. Yeah, because because it's just interesting because those songs, although were you know big videos, I never would have picked those because <laughs> I was I was like eighteen, nineteen, yeah. and and was like, yeah, those are fine, but it's not like it used to be, right? Kind of right, thing. right. <laughs> well, sober when it came out, I remember it was the uh, nineteen ninety three, I think. Um, it was the weirdest video. Yeah. A claimation and this creature is like, like it's a super disturbing. Yeah, it's you know, like a, it's like a, video. like a, like a poo or a meat thing or something. Yeah, it's very, and it's it's definitely that's a great song. A very cool song. That was the other thing is I hadn't heard Tool before that, and I was just mesmerized by the music. So I remember watching it. I had just gotten to college, I believe, and so it was in the tiny little TV that I shared with Shun. 
<laughs> um, and I remember being in the dorm room just watching this, but being like, what am I watching? And it was, again, a, another little insight into there's more to the world than the pop veneer that I'd been enjoying. Mm. And I think that after that is when I started digging movies that were like odd and, and scary and different, you know? Uh, okay, now, number two, Thriller. I think a lot of people probably have memories of when Thriller came out. Mm. When Thriller came out, it was like watching a whole movie. Yeah. It was a movie event. It was presented as like a small movie event on TV. Oh, when yeah. We, we talked about this before. My, <laughs> my family was at some kind of silent auction or some kind uh -huh. of event, maybe for our church or something. And I remember saying, we got to get home because <laughs> Thriller is going to be on TV tonight yeah. at 7 o'clock or something. Yeah. And yeah, it was like well, a it was a huge... big event even in Colombia. Yeah, and so premieres, and it is. It starts. It's a whole little horror movie with the with the werewolf, and then the song starts. And the song, of course, is fantastic, super infectious. The video you've never seen a zombie movie video, and Michael's dancing is on point as always. And then it's got the twist ending, and the song just stays in your head, and you want to immediately see it again. So I was watching it there at my not this time not at Leti's house at my other grandma's house, which is where I lived. Upstairs, my grandma, my grandpa, my dad, all of us are gathered, and, and her sister, Chana, we're all gathered by the TV upstairs. And of course, I think the older folk are sort of saying things like, well, that's very nice dancing, but I don't quite understand, you know, like stuff like that. And me and my dad actually really was, I think, appreciating it, but I was just like, wow and the next day all we could do at school was talk about it yeah it's so weird again that open slot right yeah the, the older people were looking at the same thing yeah. but to them it was like okay that's interesting know. dancing yeah it's, it's <laughs> interesting but for our generation yeah. it was we were like this is the best thing that's ever been There's made never been, yeah yeah and number one this is gonna seem like anticlimactic but it's, it's very specific so the video is Parents Just Don't Understand by DJ Jassy Jeff and the Fresh Prince. <laughs> First of all, the context. I am visiting my brother. It's the summer. I'm visiting here from Colombia uh, before I had fully moved here. So like 88? Yeah, 88, I think. So I'm, I'm like 12 or 13 or something. Yeah. And this video comes on and the video is super fun and it speaks to me because, you know, parents don't, they don't just understand, you know? <laughs> and and uh, I had never really... I wasn't really too much into rap, but I'm really enjoying this DJ Jassy Jeff and the Fresh Prince thing. Uh, the video's funny, and my brother and I are just like totally into it. Well, then him and I have a uh, debate and, uh, and make a bet because when the video was no longer playing, I mean, it was still on rotation, but it was like we were watching some show. We we're trying to sing it, and I at one point say a lyric, and he says, that's not what they say. And the lyric I say is, uh, later in the song, there's a point where they're t driving him home after he was arrested. And he says, um, I think he says, I want to play in my case. And my brother's like, that's not what he says. I'm like, yeah, that's what he says. Like, what does that even mean? Well, like, they're taking him home and like his case is like his crib. He's like, his crib? What do you mean his crib? Like his little baby crib. He's not a baby. Well, I know, but he's acting like a baby. Well, but that's still not a case. And this is my <laughs> four-year younger brother. And, and you guys argue all, all the, the time. time. And I'm telling him, but bro, that's what he says. And it makes sense because he's like reverting to childhood. It's plead his case, right? Well, so I, that's what he said. That's what my brother's saying. I think it's like plead. I want to plead my case, which I'm not sure what it means, but I think that's what he's saying. And I'm like, 
that's nothing. That doesn't mean anything. <laughs> and I convinced my brother to make a bet. So we make a bet. And at the time we bet Bettys, which were nothing, but we bet like a thousand Bettys. What do you mean? What's a Betty? It was just our made up fictional currency. Did you keep track? Yeah. Yeah. How did you find out the lyrics? Well, the next time it played, we paid really close attention. And guess what? When that moment comes, he goes, see? And I'm like, nope. He says, I want to play in my case. Yeah. It didn't convince big, me. <laughs> big brother, big brother Vito. Oh, God. But it's a fond memory, and we always joke about it. Uh, Along those lines, I've told this story before, too. My little, or my cousin, not my little cousin, my cousin who's my age, Brian, you've met him, I think, thought it was another one bites the doctor. Yeah, we talked about that. Uh, So top five favorite MTV videos with memories. Number five is Gypsy by Fleetwood Mac. Nice song. So uh, Brian, my cousin, had cable in Renton, and mm. so I would always watch MTV at his house. In fact, he would bring, um, which I'll I'll talk about later. But I love the song Gypsy. I loved it when I was eleven or twelve, whenever that song came out. And the video is just perfect. Mm. You know, Stevie Nicks yeah. in all of her flowing lace and everything. It was yeah. just like this perfect version, visual version of that of that song, and. I, have a lot of fond memories watching that when I was young. Number four is Tears for Fears. Everybody wants to rule. Oh the world. yeah, so good. I was in the sixth grade, I believe, and I'm watching this video, and I he's wearing an Izod, a pink Izod mm. shirt with it buttoned all the way up to the top, uh-huh. and. I just thought I want to be that. I want to be. <laughs> so I started buttoning my Izod shirts okay. all the way up to the top. And um, no one else was doing that in my school. You know, like uh, I oh, was wow. always one of those people that, <clears throat> not always, but when I was that age, I, I don't know why, but I always, I think it was because I was half Japanese, mm-hmm. to be honest, the fact that I stuck out because it was an all white community. Sure. And felt like, and I think my brother influenced me as well because he was kind of a, he was more of a a joke dresser. Like he 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 liked to dress okay. in like jokey things. Mm-hmm. And anyway, so I have a lot of memories of, of that of that video of uh, the lead singer ha- having his eyes on button <laughs> all the way to <laughs> Number three is Driver Eight by REM. So this is like eighty six REM. And I have the album actually right behind me, Fables of the Reconstruction. And I heard, I, so I'd never heard of REM before because they were pretty, they were college radio and they didn't uh, play college radio on MTV. Not and much, and, and no. we didn't have any college radio station in Seattle back then. Mm. The end didn't come around until 91, I think. And when that, when the end came out, I was like, oh my God, we have an alternative <laughs> radio station for us. And yeah. I, I remember we sat there and like we did, uh, we just sat around the radio and listened to it. But anyway, um, Driver 8 comes on MTV late at night. That's when they would play like the weird stuff. Right. <laughs> and I'm watching this video and I'm like, what am I hearing? This music is so different and so good. Mm. And I ran out and got that album and... You know, just it, it really changed. It opened up, similar to what you were saying, it just opens up your mind to like, wait, music can sound like that? Yeah. Um, number two, same as you, Michael Jackson, but a different song, Billie Jean. Oh, yeah. Well, I mean, uh, that video is arguably better, but it's just so interesting, you know? Yeah, I, I've watched that video. I watched that video and have as an adult 
so many times. Yeah. It the the when he walks on the street yeah. and the it lights up. I I just remember it just it's captive. It's electric. It's and you know how much choreography goes into that because there's no like. Uh, yeah, yeah. Just walk on this green screen. We'll we'll add the effects. Yeah. Well, there you know? there weren't green screen back. He didn't use any green screen. That's what I'm saying. Yeah. That it's all actually they they had to time all those lights. <laughs> right. They had to he had to do all the things. The background is yeah. painted on and and um right. So that that video I have a lot of memories of. My number one is Karma Chameleon by Culture Club. Oh yes. Not because it's such a great song. It's a great song. But <laughs> the reason why I mention it is because. My cousin Brian would record MTV on his VHS recorder and bring it over to my house, uh-huh. and we would just sit there and watch oh, the okay. VHS of oh, MTV. The recorded, yeah. And I remember he put on this song, Car- Karma Chameleon, and Oh Boy George, and he's saying, you know, that's a guy. Oh, right. He's like, that, that, that's a guy singer. And yeah. I was like, similar to you with right. your brother. I'm like, no, 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 that's impossible. Air Supplies lead singer is a woman. <laughs> yeah. I, I just remember just being completely sure that that was not a dude. There's just no possible way. <laughs> and, um, yeah, but, but just the, uh, like this cultural ambassador shows up with this right. golden VHS tape, and I just want to watch it and watch it and watch it because you know we don't have cable, right? And and no one in my neighborhood had cable because that was the whole yeah. thing. It hadn't come to my to my neighborhood yet. Man, boy George, talk about being ahead of his time. Yeah, and then becoming an amazing DJ and all these things. By the way, uh, I do have an amazing memory of uh, Karma Chameleon, which is. We used to play marbles out in the yard at school, as most kids did. How, that. how quaint. And I remember so distinctly, I, I, I can see it, walking out of the classroom as recess starts, heading to the marble thing with my little pack of marbles, singing Karma Chameleon, because I was so into that song. So I'm walking over, Karma, 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 Karma Chameleon. And of course, I would lose my marbles. But still, <laughs> I have it just like that picture. And I was probably... I mean, that was like 82? Yeah, something. I was like seven years old. Yeah. But it's embedded in my brain. All right, Berto. Thanks for doing a Bert topic. Yeah, and this was a lot of fun. Let us know what you think in the comments below or email in uh, by going to our website, clicking on the contact. And everyone out there, enjoy yourself and try to listen to non-plastic music because you deserve it. 